0: Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And this week and next week, we are re releasing two of our most popular podcast episodes. Not only are these one of the most listened to podcast episodes when people just scroll through our feed, but I'm constantly sending out these episodes when we are talking to students in class about being prepared for postpartum. So this week we have Healing from a Vaginal Birth with Morgan Michalowski. And next week we have Healing from a cesarean birth with Dr. Sarah Reardon and Dr. Jessica Reel. So this week we have Morgan. So let me tell you a little bit about Morgan. Morgan Michalowski is a certified nurse midwife, a women's health nurse practitioner, an internationally board certified lactation consultant, doula, mother and founder of Gravita, a postpartum and return to work program. Morgan has more than a decade of experience working with new parents. So this week's podcast we start to talk about what is in the realm of normal when healing from a vaginal birth. We talk about, we go deep, we talk about using the toilet right after your first after birth. Whew, that first poop. I have to tell you it can be something. We talk about hemorrhoids. We talk about organ prolapse. We talk about your common pains like tailbone pain and sore hips. We talk about how much bleeding is too much. There's so much we go into and so much that I feel that you will feel more confident knowing about so that as you head into postpartum, you feel well prepared. So, before we get to that conversation. I just want to talk about what's going on at the studio. So right now we are continuing our in-person and online classes, and it's just so beautiful how everything continues to thrive and we interweave our classes. So if you are not in New York City, we still have you covered. We're still offering classes seven days a week. And if you are in New York, I'm excited that more and more people are coming into class. So we also have our workshops. Many of them are in person. Some of them are online. And some of them are on demand. We've started to really build out quite a wonderful on-demand library. So take a look at that. If you want to show up for class, I hope you do. You can check that out on our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. And then if you can't make it to class for whatever reason, maybe yoga is not quite your thing, but you still have some aches and pains and you still want to help your body feel wonderful during pregnancy and postpartum, head to our website at prenatalyogacenter.com and grab your free downloadable five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains. And again, that's also perfect for postpartum pains. And then last thing I just want to share before we get to the conversation with Morgan is the teacher training. So this summer we are running a postnatal teacher training. It's going to be online. So wherever you are, you can still enjoy taking it. And then we're reorganizing how we're going to run our teacher training program. So we used to to travel all around and do our program at other hosting studios. But I have to say doing things online has really opened things up. We have had, I believe, and I haven't counted recently, about I think 10 or 12 different countries represented now in our teacher training, which is pretty amazing. So we're going to do... September and October in New York City, November and December online, January and February online, and then March and April in New York City. So if you're local, I'd love to see you in the city. And if you can't make it to New York City, I can still see you online. We can still study together and then spread the wonderful joy of yoga to your community. Okay, that is it. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, please enjoy my conversation with Morgan. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Morgan. How are you?
1: Hi, Deb. I am doing well. I am so excited to have this conversation with you.
0: Me too. I love picking people's brains, people that know so much more than me and diving into (laughs) topics that fascinate me and people that listen to the podcast know I like a good birth story. Yes, me too. So let's dive into, I guess, first tell me about yourself and midwifery and birth work. And then we're going to dive deep into healing from a vaginal birth because as a midwife, I'm sure you have seen many, 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 and know all about the healing from the other side. So, all right. Talk to me about you.
1: (laughs) All right. So I, my background, I am a certified nurse midwife, a woman's health nurse practitioner, an international board certified lactation consultant, and I've worked in the maternal health space for over a decade So, for those of you who don't know what you know, midwives do. um, Being a certified nurse midwife means that my background is initially in nursing. That's what I have my bachelor's in, and then I got a master's degree um, in midwifery and women's health. And I kinda got my start when I was in nursing school. My OB professor for my labor and delivery rotation was a midwife in Africa and she was super passionate about client-centered care and really trusting, you know, the birth process and honoring Women and their families as they navigate, you know, this really big moment in their life. And it was the juxtaposition between seeing her care for women and then the obstetrician that I was also following. And I just noticed like she's really present and she is here for these women as they, you know, navigate this stage. And I just kind of got the bug and I actually became a doula. Um, that was kind of my first dip into this world. I wanted to, Get more training, both to learn like how to support women emotionally and physically during labor, which is something that you don't really learn in school um and then I you know wanted to kind of test out the schedule, like being on call and going to someone's house and into deliveries at all times of the day and night. Um, I got a little bit more of a taste of what the midwifery. Life would be like than when I worked as a labor and delivery nurse.
0: (laughs) That's very smart. (laughs) Test the waters. That makes a lot of sense. Exactly. So did you do, I'm guessing when you were in nursing school, you must have done an L and D rotation.
1: Yes, I did an L and D rotation and I worked as a labor and delivery nurse and an antepartum nurse and a postpartum nurse and a NICU nurse. So I kind of tested all of the, you know, different aspects of maternal health. Um, but, Yeah, I like loved working in that space and always just felt, you know, in the hospital setting, you're a little bit restricted in terms of how much time you have to educate and support new families. And so that's why I kind of decided, one, to dive into midwifery. Um, and also to start what is now called Gravita, which is my postpartum and return to work program, um, which covers 100 no one ever told me moments from the moment you give birth through that first year postpartum. Because I do think education is so important having, you know, that knowledge and that at least baseline introduction to,
0: you know, the world of pregnancy and beyond. Yeah, there's so many things that people, my students will come back and be like, I I wish I had known. And now hopefully through education, through not just this podcast, but so many podcasts out there and just, you know, it's a lot now online trying to just to support people because it's a huge road to travel going through pregnancy and then transitioning into being a parent. It's, there's so much. So much, so much.
1: So I was like, I'm surprised by certain things that I went
0: through and I have a decade of experience then what are other people doing? (laughs) Absolutely. So let's dive in. Let's talk about healing from a vaginal birth. Now I'm going to do another one about cesarean birth. So people that are listening, I know you might be like, but I didn't have a vaginal birth. That's okay. We'll do a cesarean one as well because they're, they're different. They're different healings. So let's talk about what's in the realm of normal. And I know that, you know, some people are going to come back and be like, I felt great 10 days later. And some people can say, I felt great 10 months later. Mm -hmm. What's in the realm of normal for healing from a vaginal birth?
1: Yeah, such a great question. So from a medical standpoint, on average, it takes four to six weeks. For your uterus to shrink back to its pre-pregnancy size and it can take four to six weeks for your bleeding to stop and it can take four to six weeks for if you had, you know, a perineal laceration or some sort of tear for the outside to heal up and to kind of feel a bit normal and for you to not really be in pain. Um, I will say that, you know, that's like how we typically instruct women, but I've had so many clients come back and say, you know, it took me 7 to 10 months to feel normal again or to find my new norm. And, you know, there are things that you would want to inform your provider whether it's a midwife or an obstetrician. Um, you know, if you're still having pain after that 6-week postpartum visit, definitely let them know. Um because there are things that we can do to help you heal a little bit quicker or just to aid your body in that. Process, but it really does. It takes nine months to grow a baby. Um, it's going to take at least nine months to kind of heal your pelvic floor muscles, those abdominal muscles that went through all that stretching before you feel, you know, like you have maybe your body back, if that's a phrase you want to use, or to feel just like you have your new
0: norm. I like that the new norm. My son, the new norm. My son just broke his elbow, and it was, a, it was a really bad break, and he had surgery on it. And we just got the cast off a couple of days ago, and he has a scar, and he's like, "When's that going to go away?" We're like it's not. And he got so upset. I'm like, this is your new norm. It's not going to yeah. go back. And I I told him, I said, you know, my midwife told me after I had my first child, she's like, the landscape of your pelvis is forever changed. And, and <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> like it, I know I'm like it, it really is, isn't it? It's a little terrifying, but it's a great phrase. <laughs> but, but that's where like, you know, things happen. Like we create yes. people, like my son had surgery, like things are going to change. They're right. never going to go exactly back. Um, right. but we can, we can embrace that. So one of my favorite topics, those that listen to the podcast know, I love to talk about the pelvic floor. So let's talk about that because I remember after my first, Oh my God, granted, I pushed for what felt like years. I felt like my (laughs) pelvic floor was like down to my ankles. It was just like, I'm like, where? It wasn't, but it was like, there was so, such little support. It just was shocking. And then I just remember the first time realizing I had to use the bathroom. I'm like, oh, what's that experience going to be like? It was a little terrifying. And then I want to throw into this conversation- Pooping
1: after birth is so scary. It
0: really is. (laughs) I was like, is it all just going to fall out? And then I also want to throw into this conversation, one of my friends, after her baby, she texted me and the only word in the text was hemorrhoids. And I'm thinking, oh. My boy <laughs> And then we had to have a conversation about yes. that. So let's cover yes. all of that.
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. Um such a great topic. I remember when I had my daughter and I was like 24 hours postpartum, I was like, oh my god, how many women have I seen in this position? And I had no idea. <laughs> They're sitting here looking, you know, relatively normal, and inside you're like, what just happened to my body? Um so I, okay, a few things. We're going to talk about this within the first few days postpartum. Yes. Um, cause it, the recommendations will kind of change, but within your first few days postpartum, accidental pooping and peeing is common. Um, so I had one client, she like paged me to her room. She was like crying and so embarrassed and she's like, and also scared. She's like, I just pooped in the shower. I didn't even know it was coming and I just pooped. And I was like, that's okay. That happens. Your body carried a baby for nine months. Again, it stretched, it accommodated this growing human, and then you push them out your vagina. Your body, your bladder, and your rectum are in a little bit of shock, right? Like They've had all this pressure on them for so long, and now that pressure's gone. So the sensations of a full bladder or having to poop don't feel the same in those first few days. Um, so think of them as in shock. So I always tell women, like, use the bathroom frequently. Even if you don't feel like you have to go, just get up and go. Emptying your bladder keeps your uterus nice and tight too, which prevents bleeding. And so I just say go as often as you can to kind of prevent those accidents. But accidents do happen and it is okay. Um you had mentioned, you know, hemorrhoids and peribottles and there's like so many great things we can do to help ease that transition to going to the bathroom. So I think if you tear a little bit or a lot of it, it can feel, you know, a little bit nerve wracking to use the bathroom for the first time. Like, is this going to hurt? how long will it hurt? I was
0: terrified. I really yeah. was like, and then I remember, okay, the peri bottle is going to help. And it does. It yes. really does. Yeah. it was just, it was so overwhelming to think my pelvic floor just went through this trauma and now I have to come back to normal function.
1: Right. Right. And if you have stitches, you know, it feels like, and you're going poop. That's one thing I hear a lot is like, how do I poop and not like hurt my stitches? And is this okay to be pushing like this? So let's talk about that. So like yes. a peri bottle for peeing is awesome. You fill it up with warm water, you can put witch hazel in it, and you spray your urethra as you're peeing. Um, and that just decreases the acidity of the urine, which makes, you know, it less painful when it touches a wound. Um, we really don't want acid on a wound. So you just wanna like Drink lots of water, which will also lower the acidity and then use a peri bottle. That'll make peeing more comfortable. A sits bath helps with hemorrhoids and it also helps with, you know, healing and bringing increasing circulation and blood flow to that vaginal tear. Um, and so that will help with healing as well. And then, you know, with your, Pooping. I actually have an entire guide with this and I'd be happy to share it with your listeners. It's how to poop after giving birth because this is such a common question. Um, you know, there are different things you can do like taking a stool softener, bulking up on fiber and lots of fluids. Um, but then when you're actually going to the bathroom, you know, some women feel more comfortable like putting a hand or a warm towel over their perineum while they push just to give a little counter pressure. Um, So they feel like they're supporting an area that feels kind of weak. Um, And the other thing is just to take your time. Like, you know, there's no rush to pooping. <laughs> Sit there for as long as you need. Deep breathe. You're going to kind of do it the same way like you did pushing out a baby. Once that first one's over, your second and third aren't as scary. That's
0: so true, isn't it? <laughs> what about like a squatty potty? Do you think those are helpful or is it... Because it does kind of it opens everything, like widens the sit bones. Do you think that's overwhelming yeah. for someone that might have just felt their pelvic floor got very stretched?
1: Yeah, so I um that's fine if it feels comfortable. I always go back to like what feels comfortable for your body. Like having a stool under your feet definitely helps, you know, with pooping, especially if you're constipated, um, just to kind of keep that sit bone open. But it's really whatever feels comfortable to you. If that position, being in like a squatting position, is you know feels like too much pressure, don't do it. You know you're really just listening to your body and whatever position feels okay to you in that time.
0: That makes so much sense. And you mentioned witch hazel can be great. That could be good for hemorrhoids too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. They
1: have like wipes, or you can use it as a spray. You can use it in an ice pack. The main thing is you want to keep. That area cool with an ice pack or sitting in a sits bath, increasing circulation and numbed up if possible. <laughs> so I love the dermaplast spray. That was like my That's best smart. friend after I
0: gave birth to my daughter. I was like, all right, give me that spray. Let's <laughs> numb this baby up. What about, I remember telling my, you know, I actually didn't do this myself, but I remember telling my doula clients about getting, um, like a huge maxi pad with witch hazel and sticking in the freezer for after. Yeah. Is that yeah. still recommended?
1: Yeah, you can totally do that. I did that. I loved it. They do get pretty wet and leaky. Mm. So I say do it when you're at home, like in your bathroom, you're having 20 to 30 minutes where, you know, you don't mind if you're getting soaked because they do. That's true. They, you know, they melt. Leak. <laughs> I
0: didn't think about they melt.
1: that. Yeah, yeah. And it's different than like the prepackaged ice packs, you know, where they, once they're done, you can just toss them and they don't really leak anything. Um, but no, those are amazing. That helps so much.
0: What other changes can someone expect from their pelvic floor and pelvis? I know it takes a while for the bony pelvis to get back. Are there other changes that people might have not thought of?
1: Yeah, so there are two that I can talk about um that I feel like are pretty common. One is vaginal farting, favorite topic. Um you know your whole body changes and so initially in those first couple of weeks of healing, I've had women call me and be like, "I don't know what is happening, but like I take a step or I go to the bathroom and my vagina is farting is this okay <laughs> and you if you love pelvic floor you know that that is a sign like eventually we got to work on some some pelvic oh, floor strength but yeah. initially it happens um again the landscape of your your vagina <laughs> and your pelvis has changed um but the other thing that happens if you are a breastfeeding parent um you have very low estrogen and so the the low level of estrogen can cause um, some atrophy or like vaginal dryness and irritation throughout the course of your breastfeeding relationship. And so I like to tell people about that just because it can make sex uncomfortable. Um, if you're not getting treatment for it and, um, and or it can just be irritating throughout your, you know, daily life. So doing you know using a good lubricant if you're having sex you can also talk to your OB provider about getting like a topical estrogen cream it's safe to take while you're breastfeeding but you just apply it to the tissue and it increases the the estrogen to that area so that it doesn't feel as sensitive and irritable
0: if what's I remember reading that someone said the postpartum body is similar to the postmenopausal hormone level yes. i thought that was really interesting
1: Yes, it is. It's like kind of crazy how, you know, when you're in pregnancy, it's like this roller coaster ride. Like each week that goes by, your hormones kind of tick up, 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 up to this nice little peak. And then they crash. And then they crash. (laughs) Yes. And then you're basically in menopause.
0: Lovely. Within like 24 hours. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can't imagine. Like I just think about the mindset of like the highs and lows and the the hormonal changes. Oh my gosh. That's so hard to, to balance. Let's stick with the pelvic for a little bit longer. So as a midwife, when you do your checkup with people, do you, I'm assuming you check pelvic floor and diastasis? Yes. Yeah. So at the six week visit,
1: Um, we do like, there's a two week visit, which is more of an emotional check-in. How are you doing? Breastfeeding issues. And then the six week visit is a physical, like in-person. We're doing a head to toe exam, checking out, you know, your nipples, are they damaged? Are you engorged? We're checking your stomach for, as you mentioned, abdominal diastasis. We're checking your pelvic floor to see one, if you're, muscles are feeling like they've regained some strength and so we kind of have you do a kegel during an exam and then we're also looking to make sure that you healed on the outside and inside if you tore um so all of those things come together you know we're making sure your uterus is back to its normal size uh just assessing to see how you're feeling and then also checking in you know on a mood disorder
0: That sounds amazing. I know my midwife did a long time with me. It was at least half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. But what I was reading on average is these postpartum visits can be anywhere from like six to 10 minutes when it's a more traditional method, uh, or, you know, school of thought, more than a traditional OB. So how, how do you get that in that quickly from when you were doing your rotations? Were things skipped? Especially, I think the pelvic floor. So, when
1: I saw clients in the clinic, um, our postpartum visits were scheduled for like a 15, if we were lucky, we would get 30 minutes. Um, but they were typically around like a 15 minute, uh, visit and the priority really becomes then like, are you physically okay? So, one, I'm running through my checklist to make sure all my boxes are checked and that I can sign you off and say that you're okay. But then education and your mood and how you're coping with all of these changes are kind of left to the side, which you know, are really, really important pieces. They're the most important pieces to the parent going through this. Um, but a lot of times providers prioritize the things they need to get done and kind of show that they've Documented and checked in on and some of those other pieces get, get left behind, which is very unfortunate.
0: It is. I've, I've actually. I don't want to be diagnose because I'm not a a doctor. I have recognized certain things students have said to me over time that were missed by care providers. Again, I'm not blaming them because I know it's these visits are so quick, but I've had students when we do postnatal, I'll say like, how's your pelvic floor? How are your abs? And many times people say like, I feel like a heaviness in my pelvic floor. I feel like something's falling out. And I would recommend you should check in with a urogynecologist or a physical therapist or back to your OB because most of the time it's turned out to be pelvic organ prolapse, you know, where they just kind of, they don't, they're not held in their normal shape. Those ligaments have distended a bit. And it seems unfortunate that it took a while for them by the time they get into class, it's probably six to eight weeks. So they were likely feeling this for a while and didn't know how to talk about or who to talk about it with.
1: Yeah, and some of those things can happen, you know, after the six week visit. That's why I say, like, you know, when you ask, what's the normal healing process? I'm talking about it from an average, but sometimes things happen after, even when we see you at six weeks and we say, you're good to go. You're cleared. You look fine. Your body is still healing. And so things can still take place, like a prolapse. Um, so I think that's such a great point to make that if you're feeling, you know, a heaviness in your, rectum in your vagina, if you're feeling like you're just don't have core strength or like you're leaking urine or this vaginal farting is like not going away, those are signs that, you know, we need to deep dive. We need to see what else is going on. And most likely refer you to physical therapy, um, or even like you mentioned, you're a gynecologist to kind of assess, you know, is this in need of surgery or can this be repaired with, you know,
0: exercise? Yeah. Oh i I've, I've always feel for people when they, when they say that. I will admit I actually had some bladder prolapse after my first and it took me a while to face it and then once I did, I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty easy to fix, but it was more over mentally overwhelming to have to deal with it, especially as a first time parent or I'm just trying to function. I'm just trying to figure out yeah. this baby and then be like, and what's happening to my pelvic floor? So I think the more we can normalize these conversations, the less overwhelming will be to face it and have that, you know, to talk about it. We're going to take a super quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about pelvic pain after birth because <laughs> tailbones and hips, they can feel funky. We're going to take a super quick break. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm at the nail salon. I'm at the grocery store. Okay. We are back. So let's, again, we're talking about what's in the norm of pelvic pain after birth. I've had students have dislocated tailbones. I had one student break her tailbone, Mm. then there's sore hips. So Mm -hmm. when, if someone's feeling that, at what point do they do recommend seeking a physical therapist? And again, what, how normal is this or how often does this happen?
1: Sure. Okay. So let's rewind a little bit to labor when a lot of this soreness is taking place. Yes. If you are a parent who wants an epidural or you've had an epidural, you are fairly numb from the waist down. Um, and so anyone who is supporting your legs or shifting your body around needs to be mindful of what your normal range of motion is. So this is where, again, if you have a doula or a supportive partner, whoever is there in the room with you, have this conversation with them beforehand to say like, hey, if you see my leg going up in a weird direction, please, I'm probably not going to be focusing on this, but please, please say something. Because if you have an epidural and you're in labor, your body can go in all sorts of positions that you might not normally be able to do um, or wouldn't be comfortable in if you could feel it. Um, and that's really where a lot of you know that damage can be done. You can sprain an ankle, you can you know really pull a muscle when your leg is being moved in a way that isn't common for you.
0: I had a student get a labral tear in their hip because the the uh, leg is pulled back so far, yeah. and she's like, oh. she's like, I didn't realize it until after, but my knee does not normally hit my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So just even making a mental check of like this is my range of
1: motion. I'm gonna tell someone about that. So when I'm in the thick of pushing, at least someone else in the room knows this is what I can do. <laughs> um, to kind of prevent that because that is pretty scary. Um, that's also with your doctor. I always when my patients are pushing, I always ask, is this a position that you can do? Not in labor (laughs) without an epidural. Is this a position you can be in? Um, and if they say no, then we're switching it. And there is, you know, even though we could get your leg there, we do not need your leg there. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as like tailbone goes, that's really, gosh, I would wonder how many of those stories are from women pushing on their back because that's just like closing off the pelvic space and putting all that pressure on a tailbone. So again, this all goes back to like how are you treated in labor? Is someone getting you into a different position? Or are you pushing for four hours in one position on your back on that tailbone? Um, sometimes, you know, big babies can do things to a body, even if we're the most considerate of your body and what it can do. Um, but changing positions, being in like a sideline position or hands and knees, which opens up the birth canal more, is really great for your tailbone for your hips, um, and can kind of prevent some of that damage that could come down the road.
0: So at what point should someone see a PT? Is it pretty much maybe a week or so? They're like, wow, my yeah. tailbone really hurts, especially yeah. think postpartum, how much they're sitting and, and feeding, whether it's breast or bottle, they're still sitting. That must right. be so uncomfortable on that tailbone.
1: Right. I say after a couple of days. So if three to five days, you're still feeling a soreness in your hip or in your tailbone that just is not, it doesn't feel right or it's just bothering you a little bit. Reach out to your provider and let them know. So if you think like, if you do a rigorous workout, it usually takes, you know, 24 to 72 hours to kind of rebound and feel like, okay, my muscle soreness has gone away. So if at that three day mark though, you're still feeling it, I would reach out because it could mean that something else happened
0: that's really smart. All right. Let's, we started talking a little bit about this, but this comes up a lot in class. The concern about tearing or an episiotomy, which luckily episiotomies are not done too often, but you know, they do happen. And the healing process of that, you mentioned having stitches and being scared to use the bathroom. What are the best ways to care for that? And how, how can one help it heal?
1: Yeah. So one of the first things you can do if you are a pregnant person out there listening, um, you can do perineal massage in pregnancy. And that is one of the best ways to reduce the risk of tearing or even the degree of tearing, especially in a first time parent. Um, if you've had babies before, I say just do it again because it just prepares your mind for some of the sensations that you might experience. But, That massaging of the perineal tissue can really, you know, prepare your body for what's to come. And then, you know, after you've had a baby, as you mentioned, episiotomies are on the downturn. Thankfully, Mm -hmm. um, we're really only using them in case of an emergency. But if you do have one, you typically have at least a second degree tear, meaning you tear into the muscle. And that is the most common type of tear. Even if you don't have an episiotomy is a second degree tear for a first time parent. And so that is tearing into the muscle a little bit. And that is where a peri bottle, a sits bath and numbing spray are, those are your best friends and ice packs. You want those on a rotation. So I always say, you know, every time you go to the bathroom, you're using the peri bottle before you start peeing, you're using it. And then, um, you know, you're numbing yourself with the dermaplast spray after you go to the bathroom and then you're putting on an ice pack for 20 to 30 minutes sometime between, you know, that round of going to the bathroom in your next round. Um, and then you're doing the sits bath at least a few times a day. You can do it as often as you want, um, but I would at least get three or four times in during the day because it just helps with that circulation, reduces some of the burning and irritation you can feel when you're healing. Um, so that sits bath is going to be a good friend for at least a week or two.
0: And then I was also told early in my pelvic floor training, gentle pelvic floor toning, not, not squeeze, 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 Mm -hmm. just to bring a little circulation back. What are your thoughts on that? I love that.
1: I love that. I always say I'm like, one of the first things you can do after having a baby to kind of just even ignite recognition of your abdominal muscles and your pelvic floor muscles is like a good deep breath, yeah. right? Where you're activating your corset muscles, you're pulling up your pelvic floor, nothing strenuous, but deep breathing feels nice for a lot of reasons. Um, and it also is just a nice way to kind of retrain your brain to be thinking about these muscles that have been sort of offline or at least compressed for, you know, several months.
0: What about if someone has, um, uh an episiotomy and then they're having stitches eventually the stitches are not there, and then there's a little scar tissue bit so did you reckon is it the same type of scar tissue mobilization that you would recommend for mm. a cesarean or just kind of let it be
1: so that's such a great question um so when you have a tear whether it's from an episiotomy or just a natural tear after delivery um You know, usually we do stitches for first or second degree and beyond. And those stitches do they dissolve on their own. Um, and you can have something you can have something called granulation tissue, which if you touch it looks a little bit red and kind of inflamed and it's very sensitive. So if you see that around, you know, where you know you tore, you would wanna let your provider know because we can kind of we can remove it. It's a very sensitive tissue. It does not feel good when it's touched. Um, So you want that to be removed. If you're having scar tissue... Which, you know, if you're looking or feeling might feel like a slightly different texture than the rest of your, you know, vaginal or perineal tissue might feel a little bit firmer, a little bit coarser. Um, but it's not really sensitive to the touch and it's not that bright red tissue. Then yeah, I think the doing some tissue mobilization is great. Um, using a little bit, kind of doing that perineal massage a little bit just to kind of ease your mind and your body back into feeling. Um, I know for me personally, when I had my daughter, I felt I had a beautiful, beautiful delivery, loved my birth, but it's still birth and birth is slightly traumatic, even if it's gorgeous and even if you feel really proud about it. Um, it's just a big event that happens. And so I had a lot of like reactions to. Like when I was trying doing some mobilization to my tissue, like it was a good exercise for me to kind of breathe and think about that tissue being stretched and moved around and not associating it with pushing out a baby
0: That's a great way to just yeah to disassociate it with that because imagine it can still feel traumatic. Right, we are going to switch to a very uh Interesting topic of bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> I remember da, telling na, na, my, no. da, da, da. I remember telling one of my students, like you can be bleeding, you know, four to six weeks, and she's like, "What? I can be yes. what?" like, so <laughs> <laughs> again, one of the things people. So let's talk about how much, how long, when is it too much?
1: Yeah. So okay. Most people bleed for four to six weeks postpartum. That is again the average. That's something that as a provider we are comfortable with. We the first few days postpartum, you kind of expect like a heavy period flow, right? Like that placenta separated from your uterus. You have a bit of a a wound that's healing. And so you have, whether it's a vaginal birth or a cesarean birth, you will have bleeding. And those first few days it's heavier. Um the warning sign, and this is true whether it's the first few days or six weeks postpartum, but if you fill up a pad in one hour or you pass like two to three golf ball-sized clots, that's a sign you want to check in with your nurse or your midwife or your OB. Depending on where you are, you'd want to reach out to someone and let them know that you're having some heavier bleeding um and if you do pass a clot, it's always great to save it just so we can see it. Um how many kind of pictures check out.
0: have you been sent of clots? <laughs> oh my gosh, so many.
1: Mucus plugs and clots. I was gonna was say there... I used to get mucus plugs out do like, look what just passed. Okay. <laughs> look, what is this?
0: <laughs> I can imagine. I had one bring,
1: someone bring in their mucus plug in a plastic bag. So, you know, <laughs> nothing is off the table. <laughs>
0: So okay, so golf ball says I thought always thought it was golf ball, and then someone used to told me recently um an egg. I'm like, oh, that's a big clot.
1: That's so a you're big clot. yeah,
0: that's why it seemed a little odd. So I'm glad to hear again that we're on the same page about golf yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay.
1: Yeah. And like some women, as we've said, there's this bell curve of normal. And I have had some patients in the hospital, it's like day two, and their bleeding is like gone. I'm like, what? They have just a little bit of this kind of, your bleeding changes, right? Like it goes from this bright red bleeding that looks more like a period to kind of end of period. And then it kind of turns into this like whitish, creamy mixed with a little bit of blood. Um, and that's kind of the, the very tail end of that healing process. So some people have it within like the first week, they're done. Other women, I took six weeks before my body was fully healed. Um, And one of the gauges that you can use when you're at home, if you're like, you know, how much activity can I do? Is this causing more bleeding is to like just observe. So if you're going up and down the stairs and you notice your bleeding's heavier after going up and down the stairs, that's your body's way of saying like, Hey, maybe just go up and down once, try and stick to one level. You really should maybe just be in the bed right now. Um, some people can go for like a long walk and their body responds fine and they don't have an increased bleeding and they feel great. Um, So you're really just watching what you're bleeding as a way to see how much activity and movement your body can tolerate.
0: That actually, I want to jump ahead to one of my questions I had for later. But let's talk about that balance between moving and getting your blood flowing, and knowing and reemerging in the world, and knowing when to pull back. It feels like such a fine line. I know with my first, yeah. I definitely went way too fast. I'm like, okay, I'm great, let's go. And then my yeah, second, I'm me like, too. <laughs> My second, I'm like, let's just enjoy. So, how does one? Mm. How does one find that balance?
1: Oh gosh, that is like. Such a good question. I was the same way with my daughter. I wanted to jump back into life so quickly. I felt like so strongly. I was like, I'm fine. I just want to be back in the world. And I really didn't slow down and my body kind of paid for it. Um, It's what I wanted at the time. And so there's always that balance of like, you know, I, in some ways it felt really good to be active. And there was, you know, a release of being able to see people and of that movement and then I had days where I'm like, I have to stay in bed because my bleeding is heavier. I feel really wiped out. I also feel more emotional and kind of overwhelmed. So I think it is just again, like observing what's happening for you and then tweaking it. So if your bleeding gets heavier, slow down. If you're feeling more sensitive to noise, to emotions, you know, get quiet, go to a space where you feel safe and you have people around you that can come to you and take care of you. Um, But it really is, I wish it was as straightforward as like do X, Y, and Z, but I think it's much more like cooking without a recipe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's about having people around you that can take the load for a bit, especially second or third time parents, because they're already dealing with some other kids and, and caring for them. And even first-time parents, just knowing that you don't have to do the laundry and someone else can make the food. And I think it, that's where I'd say it's about prepping for the postpartum and yeah. really getting getting your team ready to help, especially if you're a doer. I wish I had done that more. Is yes. I know I'm a doer. And even though I had a postpartum doula, I didn't let them take over and I wish I'd, I'd let them do more.
1: Yes. That is one of my like, Wishes for next time. If we have another kid, I'm like, I am going to really prioritize that rest period because it is, it's like, it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to relinquish control. Um, I know I felt more like, I feel like I'm being a burden. Like I should be able, I should, I should, I should be able to do this. I should be able to manage that. You know, at like a couple of weeks postpartum, I felt like I needed to have cooking figured out with a newborn while I'm still bleeding and like breastfeeding all the time. And there are just certain expectations I had for what I should be able to do Mm -hmm. at a certain stage that I can look back on now and say, that's entirely unrealistic. And not only is it unrealistic, but it's, it's not going to help you get your footing. It's not going to help you get rest. It's not going to help you feel, you know, like you're in a space to really take on this new challenge. Um, but it is, it's, it's, we want to be able, or I wanted to be able to do it all right
0: out do the gate. Do you think <laughs> some of that's because after giving birth, many people are in kind of this adrenaline high and it's like, I can do it. I've got this. And then they have that drop. And again, matching with the hormonal drop we talked about.
1: Yeah, I think that can definitely play a part for sure. You have so much adrenaline coursing through your body. You are like pumped up on oxytocin and prolactin, like these hormones that make you feel like bonded and in love. So yeah, there's definitely a hormonal component to that, like, you know, urgency to get things done, whether that's a nesting instinct. You just want to like prepare your space and, you know, cook or be around people. Um, Yeah. So there's definitely a component that feels like normal, natural, hormonal. And then, you know, there's just some tweaking I think we have to do along the way to kind of prevent the burnout or the crash that comes.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that crash. It was it was right around my son's um, bris. We're Jewish and we had a bris and it was like eight days after everyone was in my house. It was a very long birth and it was just... (laughs) it was, I had crashed. It was just awful. So yeah, I wish I had better. I remember mine too. It it, it didn't go well. I remember having a fight with my sister-in-law about where to put the challah. They were my mother-in-law, my mother, my sister-in-law are talking about I'm like, just put it on a plate. And I just just (laughs) lost it. One of the moments. I'm going to go cry in the closet now. Seriously. I really, I should have. That would have been a much healthier thing to do. Okay. There's one more question I want to, I actually, I have a couple more questions. The one I want to kind of circle back to the, the pains and aches after birth. Because I think that's something that again is not often talked about. Again, I happen to have had a very long birth, so I know that's what I experienced and when I would do follow ups with doula clients I'd hear the same thing. And some Mm -hmm. people were like, My abs hurt, my arms hurt. Mm -hmm. What's to be expected? And it makes sense. Like I remember pushing and like it was a whole body experience. It was like every muscle. Is that and I again I've heard it from doula clients, but from your experience, what are you hearing about common aches and pains? right afterwards. Oh my gosh,
1: all of them. Um headaches, pop blood vessels in the eyes, sore arms, sore abs, sore butt, sore calves, <laughs> sore feet. Um I mean, like you said, it's a whole body experience and depending on, you know, the caveat is really like how long is your labor and how long are you pushing for? Um if you're pushing for a long time and you had a long labor then you're really running maybe one or two marathons and you are going to feel so physically depleted, wiped out, sore. Um, again, that's where getting like good nutrition and resting is super important, even if you're feeling that kind of post-birth high. Um, if you did have a long labor, long pushing, I would, as much as you can, just stay in bed and rest, do short little walks. Um but yeah that's super common. If you had a fast birth, you might not have as much soreness. Um I know for my birth with my daughter, I I had a very quick delivery and I wasn't I was sore in a lot of ways but not like my abs or my arms or my calves or anything, but I was sore for weeks after just from like holding a baby. Like I was mm-hmm. carrying around eight extra pounds in my arms and my arms felt sore from carrying her. My shoulders were sore from like not getting enough, you know, propped pillows when I was breastfeeding. And there are just so many different ways in which our bodies have to shift around this new human, whether it's pushing them out or carrying them or feeding them, Um, where I had sore feet and sore shoulders. And yeah, it was probably a few months before I felt Kind of normal. And I guess that's another thing to touch on is you have the relaxing hormone that we, you know, talk about in pregnancy a lot that kind of shifts our gait. It shifts our ligaments. It's still coursing through your body for like four to six months postpartum. And so you do have some of these adjustments that can cause soreness and, and misalignment, um, in your, in your joints, in your back, in your shoulders. So, Physical therapy or seeing a chiropractor, or getting a massage are all really nice ways to comfort your body.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, speaking of that comforting and also nourishing, I remember my midwife having me right before, maybe four to six weeks before my due date. She's like, have some bone broth. Let's really look at nutrition. What do you offer to your clients to prepare their mind and body for heading into birth as well as postpartum?
1: Yes, I love that. Um so in terms of preparation, like nutritionally, I do think what your midwife suggested is amazing. Like fueling up on like key nutrients like omega-threes and healthy fats, uh, you know, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, all of these things are so important in protecting your bones and your joints. Just being pregnant depletes you nutritionally, and then you're going through this, you know, big event. And into feeding a baby if you're breastfeeding um, you know doing as as much as you can to take good care of your nutrition ahead of time is really helpful. and then preparing meals. so whether that's doing a meal train to support you postpartum or prepping your own meals and freezing them um, but you're really wanting to pack nutrient dense meals into your feeding calendar so you're not stuck you know, on the couch with a baby in your arms uh, with goldfish in your lap. So that happens. But if you can rely on others or do some prep work ahead of time, it will, you know, make you emotionally and physically feel a lot better a lot faster.
0: What about, I remember having postpartum, a lot of red raspberry leaf tea, again, going back to the warm soups. Do you have any thoughts on some, on the postpartum nutrition?
1: I do. I have actually a whole guide on, oh. you know, recipes and things to <laughs> kind of pack into your your calendar so that you during those first 40 days are getting all of your nutritional needs met, um especially if you're feeding a baby. Um so yeah. Red raspberry leaf tea. Love that tea. It's packed with iron. It helps tone your uterus. And it tastes good. I was it actually tastes
0: surprised. Good. It doesn't I taste know. like raspberries in case people are like, oh, I don't like raspberries. It tasted right? it had like this earthiness. Earthy, I know that sounds yes. weird, but I really liked it. I, 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 I drink know. like pitchers of it at a time.
1: I, I loved it too. I drink it my last trimester of pregnancy and I drink it postpartum. Um, so that's just a nice, anything hot, I think feels really good postpartum. Uh, you know, hot teas, hot soups. It's just soothing. And I know there's like within Chinese medicine, there are different thoughts and beliefs around, you know, putting warm food into your body postpartum um just to balance out your chi and so i i do love that i think it feels really good um and then i also i've had so many women tell me that they've craved ice cream like dairy is a huge huge craving um after giving birth and so if there's a healthier way to find it that's kind of what i suggest but you know just replenishing that calcium that's kind of stripped from your bones and teeth when you're pregnant um, can come in a variety of ways, whether it's through leafy greens or just through, um, you know, other uh, items like tahini or sesame seeds. But uh, yeah, you do want to boost those nutrients as well.
0: That makes a lot of sense. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, if you can offer one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer a new or expectant parents, we'll be right back. gone deep and I love everything you have said. Is there one tip or piece of advice that we didn't get to that you really think is golden and you want to share?
1: Mm, I guess I touched on it a bit earlier, but I just think it's it's so cliche and so important. (laughs) It's cliche for a reason, but it goes back to that asking for help. Um, I have just had so many phone calls with parents, whether it's through a lactation consultation or, you know, in the hospital or several months after giving birth where they, the feeling and the thought that comes out is I should be able to do this thing now. I should be able to manage my life now. I shouldn't need this much help. And I just want to like reframe that concept of what is normal to need during this time. So like if we lived in a village, if we were in a community of people like a thousand years ago, we would have this built-in network that like lived with us. You know, we would be watching people giving birth. We would be watching them postpartum. And in our current culture, we're so separated from all of that. Like we don't really, we don't see childbirth unless we're a birth worker. Um, it's either on TV or through stories. Um, and even that postpartum experience, if we've never had a baby, the most we're seeing is like we're dropping off that one meal and we're saying, "Oh, it's such a cute baby," and we aren't even really thinking about the parents and what they're going through. Um, and it really, even for me, like being in this world and having family members have babies before I had a baby. It didn't hit me just like how vulnerable this time is until I had my daughter. And you really are going through this significant transition. I love the word matrescence, which is similar to adolescence. It's that developmental life stage where you're a little bit awkward, you're hormonal, you're trying to figure out who you are in this world that's shifted. Your identity is shifting. Your relationships are shifting all around this like beautiful thing you just said, which is bringing a human into the world. Um, but it still is, you know, a period of adjustment. And so to need help and to feel like you're faltering or like you don't have a handle is common. And I would just say, like, use that as a guide. Again, in the same way that we're using bleeding as a guide for how much activity we're tolerating, use the feeling of like, am I failing? Should I be having a better experience in this as a, as your guide or as an opportunity to kind of reach out to Someone, a therapist, a friend, family member, um, just to kind of talk to them about what's going on and to build a plan so that you get the support you oh, deserve. I'm so
0: so glad you end on that because we've been talking about the physical things to expect postpartum, but we didn't talk. You know, we talked a little about the mental, but you're so right. There is that huge transition and expectation that. This baby's put in your arms and all of a sudden, you know what to do. And many of us don't know what to do. Like I had been working with babies for almost a decade before having my first, and I thought I would know what to do. And I I didn't, (laughs) like, we literally, my husband and I were thinking, like, okay, the postpartum doula is coming in three hours. So we had between our doula leaving and the midwife leaving and our postpartum doula come, we had three hours. We're like, we just have to keep the baby alive for three hours. We can do it. And and it was so overwhelming that there is an expectation that you know what to do and that it should all quote unquote just, you know, come naturally. But, it doesn't. And it's a huge shift. Right. It's a huge shift of responsibility and right. identity. It's, it's huge. So I'm so glad that you put that out there that it's, it's a transition to be honored.
1: It is. It is. That's so well put. It's a transition to be honored. Oh, I love that.
0: Where can people find your yeah. work?
1: So you can find my website. It's gravida, G-R-A-V-I-D-A, com. Um, my course is on there. I offer pregnancy coaching. I have uh, the postpartum and return to work program. And then I also teach a childbirth education class and offer lactation consultations. And I am on Instagram at postpartum underscore midwife. And that is
0: how I found you. And I'm so glad I did because I'm really enjoying our connection.
1: Me too. Me too. This is so oh, lovely. Such a good thank topic. Thank you.
0: I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reach out to you when something else pops in my head. I'll be like, we got to talk again because yes. I've really enjoyed <laughs> this. Thank you so much more again. I love right, it. Be well. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.